Welcome to the Working Together podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Morales, thinker, maker, doer behind Working Together, a burgeoning hub of can-do and know-how, inspired to explore who we are and how we can work together better. I'm fascinated by all the ingredients that you need to really make something happen, to really engage a system and the groups of people within it. And so, on this podcast, you'll hear a lot of stories from folks who've made interesting things happen. Their trials and tribulations, their reflections, their lessons learned, and the actionable advice that they have to share. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I did. Okay, everybody. On this episode of the Working Together podcast, it's just going to be me. I'm going to be reading from an old, uh, I mean not old, it's uh, just a few years old manifesto type piece that I wrote for the Working Together blog uh, when it was first started. So this was back in 2015. I put pen to paper and put together this manifesto called Cosmodernism, Why Our Love of Star Wars Can Solve Climate Change. And I'm returning to it now because I feel like... um, you know, much of it still rings true for me, uh, and also because I'm going to be, as maybe some of you know who are on the mailing list, uh, going to be embarking on a bit of a new journey right now um, in life and also in uh, in how working together works and what it does. Um, and so it's it's kind of the time for new manifestos and new ideas about what working together's vision is and what it's what it's trying to achieve and what it's trying to speak to um and so i'm going to be working on those uh those new ideas over the next little while and also posting them here on the podcast and on the blog again so this is kind of the first in a series of of thought pieces and so this piece cosmodernism why our love of star wars can solve climate change i think is a great way to start this little mini series out on working together's manifestos, um, and kind of get at some of the key themes that I've been talking to folks about on this podcast, but also themes that I've been thinking about in the background and kind of broader visions and things like this that I've been thinking about in the background that have been informing a lot of what I've been uh, doing. So without further ado, let's get right into it. One of my earliest memories is watching Star Wars when I was about five years old. It was a cold winter in Edmonton, Alberta, the Canadian city, and oil refinery. (laughs) Because that's what it felt like uh, where I was born. I remember standing at the threshold between the kitchen and the living room in my grandmother's house on Capilano Crescent watching the intro to A New Hope, the first Star Wars movie. I would pop in and out of the room throughout the movie to catch glimpses of lightsaber battles and noisy TIE fighters. And what remains distinct in my memory is the notion that the film's narrative took place a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Even when I was young, The very inversion of this narrative, that something futuristic could have taken place 
long ago really impacted me and reverberated uh, a realization throughout my elementary school days. And this is what it was. That there could be another place in the cosmos, in the universe, in the galaxy, where long ago folks flew around in spaceships and engaged in harrowing adventures and, and all of this. This was, it, it was what Star Wars taught me was that it's this kind of realm of possibility in our universe because of its vastness. In the depths of time, vast past, vast future ahead of us, and space, that there's the, the here, what we have on Earth, but then far away, whole other galaxies, whole other solar systems, whole other inhabitable planets, and so on. That we could imagine seemingly endless variations of possible futures and possible worlds in, like, this vast. So in this respect, Star Wars was a gateway to my love of science fiction, outer space, and interstellar travel. Unfortunately, though, nothing in my schooling or family life reinforced this uh, budding passion of mine and my dream of becoming an astronaut beyond the toys I was given or the odd National Geographic magazine that I tried to decipher. I don't know if you guys remember those, but there's some National Geographic issues that had space stuff in it, you know, and they had these awesome pull-out pages with cool graphics of things, uh, or maybe they had things in them that uh, that talked about, um, you know, particle accelerators and stuff like this. You know, it, they had these kind of cool little sciencey pieces in there, as, as well as, like, the anthropological stuff. Anyway, so that was kind of where I was getting my my fill of sciencey, spacey, futury stuff. Um, but in middle school, uh, probably like many of you, I'm sure, I realized that all of this sciencey stuff that I was so interested in was unfortunately based on the math stuff that was uh, profoundly difficult for me. Even though I also loved it, it just took me a little longer than most everybody else to really get. Um, so I eventually gave up the notion that I would ever become an astronaut and explore outer space and decided to follow my interests elsewhere. However, my fascination with these themes never diminished. And like many others, I eagerly look forward to watching ongoing installments in Star Wars narrative and in others, interstellar space travel movies. I mean, I, don't, I really think they're going to keep coming down the pike, and they're awesome, and I will always try to see them. Um, and I believe that we love science fiction stuff like this because of the possibilities that it expresses about our ingenuity, our encounter with the other, and the power and potential of technology to take us places we've never been. The science fiction genre often presents a moment, whether in the future, the past, or secretly at work within the present, where we are less constrained and limited, where the vastness of the universe can be managed, 
and only the touch of a button stands between sentient earthling life and a cosmos of possibility. You know what I mean there? That, like that trope of hitting the hyperspeed drive or whatever it might be and just collapsing that vastness of space and time um, and being able to journey to these places that we can only imagine about now. That trope is, is common throughout and I think it, it represents something deep but here I go I'm going to put my my theory hat on our fascination with a limitless universe filled with a diverse array of other interstellar worlds and sentient beings and cultures and so on is also an extension of an expansionist drive to colonize under the pretext of exploration and discovery a narrative universe with so many different worlds to visit and inhabit, where there seems to be an overabundance of worlds and places to explore and orientalize, is so widely enjoyed because of the limitless depicted. This flip side of the science fiction genre is to be expected, especially today, for ours is a time acutely aware of ecological limits, just to name a few, we could think of environmental toxicity, ocean acidification, climate change, so on and so on and so on. There's all sorts of ecological limits that we're running up against. Ours is a time when our societies seem to be wobbling against the edge of some never-before-seen chaos, and therefore a time when we enjoy with great ardor the imagined cosmos of limitless potential that we see in science fiction. And sadly, also this imagined cosmos of limitless consumption, colonization, under the pretext of exploration and discovery. So it's not surprising that we create and celebrate in such imaginaries while we face extreme limits and intractable problems in reality, in, in what's going on today, right now. It's like we're trying to mentally escape some sort of dawning terror of realization that will eventually, and I think necessarily, overtake us. I think some sort of cultural shift will eventually happen where a lot of people are like, oh, crap. <laughs> this is bad. We have to do something about this. But right now... I think we're in denial of the fact that uh, the party must end. Another thing, we're secretly disappointed that, that the dreams of the space-aged 1950s and 60s never materialized in the year 2001. I mean, come on. We had that movie, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Um, when it was made, uh, and Arthur C. Clarke's books and everything, like, at the time, all of that seemed kind of inevitable, like, oh, this is where we're headed. <laughs> this is going to happen. And maybe as soon as the year 2001, it seemed so far away to them then. Uh, and then obviously 2001 hits and, you know, really none of that happened, right? Um, we also are surprised that our ingenuity could so successfully catapult our societies into technological modernity. 
while also creating a ton of unintended consequences, right? So all that Space Odyssey stuff didn't happen. We're not there yet. And also, by the way, there's a bunch of unintended consequences that happened that uh, we didn't realize would happen by pursuing these kind of technological dreams. So on top of the kind of looming terror, uh, the denial, um, the disappointment, and the surprise around these unintended consequences, we're also faced with the challenge to our faith in scientific rationalism. So there's a lot of things going on in this cultural moment now. And at the same time as all this is going on, we have to reinvigorate our faith in science, I believe, and develop a more sophisticated scientific rationalism in order to define the limits, challenges, complexities, uncertainties, and potential solutions that we now have to address. And I don't know if it's going to be any kind of scientific rationalism that we knew of in the past. It's going to be something different, but it will be a commitment to the truth about what's going on and, and the truth about what makes sense to do next. See what I'm saying there? We've learned that our ingenuity does not exist in a vacuum. And then it was never confined to the laboratory tabletop. We have to have a new scientific rationality because the results of our experiments, as we've seen over the last few hundred years, they spill out of the lab and into factories and then from factories into markets and from markets into homes and from homes into landfills and all throughout the life cycle of these invented products, additional unintended consequences spill into social, cultural, ecological, so on and so forth, systems, right? The well-oiled whir of the machine has taken a century to reverberate through the ecological cosmos, and we now hear it as a snarl. So these... These sentiments, these feelings, these attitudes, this terror, the denial, the sense of surprise at the failure of technology's promise, this loss of faith, this enjoyment of imaginary adventure and unlimited exploration, all of these cultural affects are important clues to our current predicament. Indeed, these clues are part of the mechanisms of a psychological and cultural trap that we must now envision ourselves out of. And and how, how, how do we do that? I'm just going to take a pause here. I think when I wrote this piece, I was really trying to capture a bunch of different senses, sensibilities or whatever, you know, like 
uh, and kind of contradictory cultural movements that I saw around at the time. It was back in 2015, December 2015. And so I know there's much more to that picture, but that's kind of that's kind of the basic sense that I was trying to convey there. On the one hand, a celebration and an imaginary exuberance around science and technology and all this magical stuff. And then on the other hand, uh, you know, disappointment, a surprise, a denial um, about all of the bad stuff we started to see happen. This next section here, go right into it. believe that climate change means something. I believe that it means cataclysm. And the choice we now face is between two models of how the cataclysm of climate change will play out. And I'm hugely oversimplifying things here, but this is what I said then. Death on the one hand, or transformation on the other. Two ways that I'm saying that it can play out. Death or transformation. And the current discourse, I'd say this is, this is still the same, is dominated by the former, by death. And so the proposed solutions to climate change carry the scent of death. Technocratic rationalism and pragmatism Evidence presented and dissected, policy mechanisms, international agreements, targets, measures, etc., etc., etc. And there's nothing wrong with this, okay? You know, we need this kind of policy want conversation to generate traction and friction around this issue and others like it. But we also desperately need a big, unrealistic dream to generate momentum. And the simpler to define, the better. We need this dream because the realism and importance of climate change has created the unintended consequence of polarized and confused public opinion. Through amplified competing scientific views, divisive advocacy groups, and a diverse and seemingly endless source of information on the internet, to which the blog post that I made then and to which this podcast that I'm making now is just adding to. Through all of this, the complexity of climate change has led interested parties to simply confirm their beliefs and treat the matter in purely pragmatic terms. The future becomes less of a crystal ball that can surprise us with new insight. And I would add black swans. And more of a dead certainty. So instead of calmly discussing how best to go about avoiding the worst or simply denying that anything is wrong, we must passionately strive to achieve a big dream, perhaps the big dream. And that is sentient earthling life, exploring the cosmos. 
Because I believe that technocracy has had its words, measures, and numbers at COP21 and at future gatherings like that. And with great success. And great failure. And beyond this and any council of parties, however, democracy will continue to demand a shared vision. So, as a salve to the discourse that reeks of death, I want the change in tone that comes with the model of transformation. Climate change is the penultimate wicked problem that must be solved or mitigated, not so that we continue to survive on the earth, but so that we can live on the earth and beyond. The first model, the death model, currently the most paradigmatic, emphasizes global political cooperation in the face of peril. The second model, I believe, emphasizes global political cooperation in the face of a future that has only been imagined, but is thereby more potent and real than the threat of death and finality. However, if we do not rise to the wicked problem of climate change with renewed vigor, the possibility of our imagined future, of our big dream coming true, is at best likely to be postponed for centuries or millennia, and at worst, it is on the verge of being erased. In a way, I am glad we have such terrifyingly complex challenges like climate change. They'll teach us new things about ourselves and about how we can work together in new and different ways. Indeed, without climate change, it would be impossible to pursue cosmic exploration as a big dream without it quickly turning into a big nightmare. And on that, I'm thinking of things like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and <laughs> the very idea that you can buy your way into the cosmos, that this whole enterprise can be privatized. While I'm encouraging and supportive of more minds and hands being turned towards that effort, I also fear that they're still stuck in the death model, in the model of escaping from a bad situation that gets worse and worse and worse, escaping from a planet that becomes a catastrophic war-ridden wasteland to go and take their their wealth and their ideas to other planets it's just elitism all over folks and I see that as as a big part of the problem too so the cataclysm of transformation is a threshold that we must first cross before we can pursue the type of development required to explore the cosmos. Why? Because although continuing on the same path of development may entail interstellar travel, it wouldn't be done so in a manner that calls on the best of the world. Perhaps such advancements would be pursued unilaterally. Perhaps they would be pursued as a form of escape from a planet that no longer supports human life. Either way, pursuing a vision of space travel without solving climate change 
would be the penultimate expression of modernism's decadence, the desire for grandeur at the expense of all else. The desire for technological advancement at the expense of all else. Just, a, just following through on that logic in the worst possible way. So I call the alternate path of development that stems from this cataclysm of transformation that we face through climate change, I call this cosmodernism. Cosmos plus modernism. Because what I am arguing for is a continuation of scientific progress, but not as an isolated endeavor to the detriment of the earth, but rather as an endeavor that unfolds within a complex interrelated system of living and non-living forces. The pursuit of a grandeur and glory to the benefit of all else is the affirmation of cosmodernism and an affirmation only made possible through a concerted effort to work together in the transformation made necessary by this cataclysm. It's the realization that the earth is a seed and a germ of life within the cosmos that is the credo of cosmodernism and that the dispersal of this seed is its ultimate goal. Climate change is a very special problem for us to work together on and to wrap our head, hands, and hearts around. Much of the discourse around the problem has been rooted in the head and the hands with little emphasis on the heart, on the passion and vision that can take our interests beyond the literal and figurative poverties of imagination of the cataclysm of death. So, I believe that there needs to be something more that motivates our efforts to work together and tackle the problem. And I believe that this something more is a vision of the future that we already dream of. That we pay money to go see in theaters all the time. Or read about in books. The technologically and infrastructurally enmeshed tangle of living and non-living life that is our current civilization the quote-unquote system in all of its broken and working glory is simply a process of co-creation in the midst of a rapid transformation whose logical endpoint lies in interstellar travel until the momentum and the trajectory of this system shifts we should share no other vision than the following to rein in the worst of our excesses, to work together as a planet of earthlings, to innovate solutions to climate change and its cataclysm of transformation, and most importantly, to dream big about the future so that we may share in the glory of centuries and millennia of limitless scientific and interstellar exploration. So that piece for me, it's really, it really was meant to kind of be one of the first little posts there on Working Together's blog way back in the day now, because I was trying to start from a bit of a foundation, a bit of a vision, a vision of interstellar travel, but not in that death mode, in that survival mode, in that escape mode, that mode of interstellar travel that gets characterized by figures like Elon Musk, but others as well, um, you know, who see 
the logical outcome of all of this is being a devastated planet that we have to escape from. Because that changes nothing about the culture and the politics. It's very innovative technologically to think of these things and to imagine these things. But I see no innovation there in how people work together. I see no innovation in how people collaborate and how culture is made anew, how we bridge differences to be able to develop solutions from conflict. I see nothing innovative in visions of escape and visions of cataclysmic death, ecological destruction, and interstellar travel being born from that type of necessity. There's nothing innovative in that. But there is something innovative in the idea of working through these problems to such a degree that we transform our cultures, our politics, to be able to apprehend what it means to exist, to live within the cosmos of the earth and beyond. You can find the resources mentioned during this episode at togetherworking.com slash the working together podcast, all one word. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for more in-depth conversations with innovative thinkers, makers, and doers sure to inspire you and help you make an impact in your world. And don't forget to rate and review so that I can continue to bring you the social innovation goods. Finally, if you'd like to receive the Working Together Review newsletter, where I share interesting finds and actionable insights about teamwork, facilitation skills, social innovation, cooperatives, behavioral economic strategy, political theory, 
and a whole bunch of other stuff, you can sign up at togetherworking.com.